Welcome to the Signal Integrity Journal podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today I'm talking with Tim McDonald, President of Electromagnetic Applications, or EMA, and CSAR, Mendez Ruiz, SI Engineer at Intel. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. So I heard that Intel was looking for a uh, way to simulate the interactions and interference of a whole server all at once, you know, as kind of the ultimate way of understanding their products, which have never been done before. You know, what was driving the need to do this and how did it all get started? Okay, yeah, I would like to begin by saying that not necessarily at once, although this is ultimately desirable, right? But sure we want, uh, we are looking forward to developing a methodology that allows us to account for every single element of the whole system that can induce an EMI problem and or contribute to solve it. The three core technologies that EMI3D cable integrates in a single tool, which will be a full wave 3D electromagnetic engine based on the FDTD method, a multi-conductor transmission light solver to model for cable harnesses, and a circuit solver that is called Nexin. Uh, these three elements by themselves are very powerful from the, from the system level simulation at once perspective. But the full integration with the remaining of the ANSYS environment uh, give this tool an outstanding advantage to cover for any given fundamental limitation that the FDTD method uh, may have. And uh, in regards of what was driving this, this need of simulating the EMI problem, it is, uh, it is the high cost of catching EMI problems late in the product life cycle. We want to have predictive capabilities on the EMI-related uh, design issues rather than uh, catching them in the lab during validation and certification processes. So how did you go about selecting the software tools and a partner uh, to do this? And you know, what tools were used to come together to accomplish the project? Yeah, we were looking for a tool that uh, one was based on the FDTD method uh, to employ the technology for high performance computing that is compatible with Intel procedures and policies. And three, that was fully integrated with uh, our engineering collaterals and workflow. In particular, in regards to this last point, the, the, the full integration with our workflow, my group core discipline is signal integrity. And as such, uh, we heavily employ HFSS uh, for our electromagnetic modeling. Okay. So a tool that was integrated with ANSYS environment was very uh, desirable. And uh, EMA3D cable was pretty much uh, the only tool that uh, will fulfill uh, the, three, the three points. When, when Cesar reached out to EMA, we had already begun studying ways that we could integrate more tightly with HFSS. And in our discussions about the need at Intel, we understood that it would be important for them, but also it would be a very general industrial need for, for all companies that this is where things are going. People want to be able to do a full computer electromagnetic compatibility simulation. So once that was clear to us, we threw out all of our other development tasks for the cycle and just focused on the, the Intel problem as posed by Cesar. And, and luckily we had, had good success. Yeah, I'm always impressed at how powerful the software is getting, you know, we're able to solve bigger and bigger problems in less and less time. Was there a different approach to meshing used and why did you select that type? At EMA, we've always had a forgiving mesh and we typically use three techniques. I, I sometimes call them our, our superpowers to handle the complex devices. 
The first is our mesh technology, which is grid-based. And so that's very forgiving. So when you're dealing with something like a full enclosure, you have so much mechanical CAD that you need to deal with. So switching to a grid-based mesh means you don't have to spend any time cleaning or preparing for simulation. The other, the next superpower that we use is, is how we deal with cables and is unique in the industry. Nobody else does it this way. We embed a multi-conductor transmission line solver for the cables, and we co-solve that on the same grid as our full wave solver. So that, that allows us to, to be able to handle all the complexity of the cables and define them quickly, but we don't have to create all the 3D details of the cable, but it's still accurate. And the last superpower that we use is to use thin material properties. So surfaces, seams, gaps, all of those things, we've got models for how we can resolve them in a way that we're solving things smaller than our computational cell size. So that means if your gap is micron sized between your mechanical panels, you can actually use a big cell size that's millimeter sized, but resolve something that's micron size on that same grid. When we put those three tricks together, that's really the, the secret to being able to handle the, the entire computer problem. Yeah, those are some unique approaches, very interesting. So how much time to market did this approach take compared to the previous methods? Yeah, well, um... Well, it is nearly impossible to uh, try to make an apples to apples comparison, right, uh, of this new capability that uh, we now have uh, in comparison with uh, the pre our previous methodology. It is because um, system level simulations of a full server were just not a practical, uh, a, a practical option in the past. So when it comes to simulating an EMI problem, along the complete product life cycle. We were just tied to trying to simplify the problem the most we could and uh, even doing uh, domain decomposition to, to chop the problem into in a smaller section of the, of the problem that we're interested. And we will just be able to come up with some proof of concept cases. But the, the ultimate capability of being able to do a system level simulation was just not a, an option in the past. And at the end, what did end up happening is that uh, any EMI problem was actually captured in the labs, right, during the validation or, or, or when we were trying to get uh, certification, which uh, you can imagine uh, was very painful for us uh, when that would happen. So how were you able to simulate the EM environment to address EMC, EMI, and, you know, what were the results in the design? Okay. Um, yeah, there were many ingredients that developed together, right, to enable this kind of simulation. With the full integration of the EMHD cable with the ANSYS environment, we can receive from the mechanical team in a very straightforward way the, the assembly CAD files, right? Because they generate the, the assembly CAD files in, in a space claim. And um, actually, this tool happens to be embedded uh, within a space claim, uh, lately also in, the, in Discovery, right? But uh, what I'm trying to tell you is that is using exactly the same environment, no need to export to a standard format, import it back to this environment, which is uh, very, uh, very useful. Uh, we are also able to extract radiated uh, near fields uh, from the PCB and the package on top of it uh, using HFSS and also using SI wave. And I uh, use these uh, exported fields as a source within the AMHD uh, environment. Uh, an additional feature is um, 
uh, that is key in enabling this kind of simulation is the capability to sectorize the unit cell size for different domain regions throughout the complete subdomain. This allows us to have a, a refined mesh size in the regions in the regions that is uh, really needed, which will be, for instance, the, the package section with the heat sink on top of it, without having to necessarily shoot the total number of unit cells uh, that is needed to represent uh, wider areas and uh, cover for the complete uh, uh, for the complete server height. Uh, an additional feature is the capability to model uh, seam joints. Uh, through parasitic elements along an interface line, uh, rather than having to mesh very small to represent the actual gap that can happen uh, in between different components of the mechanical uh, assembly for which the electromagnetic uh, energy can, can leak to the, to the outside world. And um, um, an additional capability is uh, the EMA 3D cable capability to, to set up fields groups that are uh, outside the domain region, right? Uh, so with this capability, you can you can do an actual sampling of your fields in the actual far field without having to, to, to do FDTD uh, meshing for all that huge space. But, but instead, the tool, what, uh, what you can do is you can set up uh, these groups outside of your domain. The, the tool will sample the, the fields at, at the surface of your domain and will uh, will extrapolate out in, in a space what would be uh, the value of these fields in the in the far field. So as you can see, it's a very comprehensive set of uh, powerful tools and figures that allows you to account for every single element of the platform that is relevant to the EMI solution in a practical way without sacrificing uh, reliability of the, of the final results that you are getting. EMA. 3D cable is a time simulation product, but uh, Intel needed the capabilities to simulate frequency-dependent materials. How did you accomplish this? Yeah, you bring up a, a, a key challenge. So most materials are frequency-dependent. So how do you deal with that frequency-dependence as a time domain solver? So we've created something that is mostly transparent to users, not too hard to use, but under the hood, it, it took us a long time to get this working right. What you have to do is um, first you write out your equation for your properties that are going to be frequency dependent. So for example, the permittivity and the permeability. And then you do a polynomial expansion of that functional form. And with that polynomial expansion, you have several parameters. And then we do an analytical Fourier transform. So we're going to take that equation so it'll be permittivity as a function of frequency. We Fourier transform it to get um, permittivity as a function of time. So that long polynomial gets mixed up, but the parameters are the same. And so what that means is we can do a fit on a curve in the frequency domain, determine all those individual parameters from that polynomial in the frequency domain, and the fit parameters that we determine are the same parameters in the time domain version. They're going to be in a different place in the equation, but they're the same, same value. So um, all of that's automated and handled in the software, so it goes in the right place. But I would say the hardest part of um, doing frequency-dependent time domain simulation is, is in 
you know, getting, getting the curve fitting right and, and getting, uh, getting those polynomial expansions out there. When, when it all comes together, hopefully it's, it's not too complicated and users just uh, bring in their frequency dependent curve. They click a button to fit it and um, move on with their simulation. How is this simulated with the server cards models? Yeah, the board together with the package on top of it uh, can be imported into SI Wave. Uh, in this tool, it is uh, quite straightforward to set up uh, excitations and also place uh, some other uh, components that are relevant for the radiations, uh, like instance, the decoupling capacitors. And then uh, it has a very uh, powerful um, wizard that enables you to, to, to do an in-field extraction uh, uh, out of uh, this setup. Uh, once the results are available, the fields can be exported and then imported into the EMA3D cable and use it as a, as a source of your simulation. A second possibility is uh, to work in HFSS. Uh, this will require you some uh, work on cleaning, uh, cleaning up the structure and placing the components and setting up the simulation. Um, however, you can also use it as an intermediate step the, the ANSYS 3D layout. Uh, which turns out very, hand, very handy in working with this kind of, uh, of structures. And it really helps you to, to go over the simplification in a, in a faster way. Um, the advantage of, uh, of also going uh, with HFSS is that um, um, you have a, a correlation option, right? Uh, you, you can double check if, uh, if you get the same answer out of the both of your setups. And you also get some more control uh, over the modeling assumptions that you, that you are doing uh, on HFSS. Uh, but at the end, once you have your exported near fields, um, uh, you can set this up as a source in the EMR3D cable. And uh, you can uh, also import back again, hide this board and package on the EMHD cable so that you can still account for the interactions that are going to happen uh, of this planetary structure with the rest of the of the, the mechanical assembly, right? And um, this can happen because uh, on EMHD cable uh, environment, the import of the near field is seen as a, as a soft source rather than a, a, a hard source. And uh, this is a kind of source that will enable them uh, fields interactions that are going to happen, uh, whatever is inside uh, the volume of your of your near fields and, 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 and what is outside is going to allow for whatever interactions that is happening in between the two the two regions. So what was the biggest challenge you ran into and how did you overcome it? So when we decided that we were going to tackle all of the problems needed to do the full server simulation, in one development cycle, we knew it was gonna be a challenge. So we agreed that we would Im implement the subgrid, the SI wave field import and frequency dependent materials in a single cycle. So it was a lot. Um, of the three, I think the frequency dependent materials was the hardest to accomplish. And I, I think we were working through the final bug in it right up until our deadline at the end of the cycle when we we had to had to release and we would run it over and over and it would just be a little bit off <laughs> and finally we realized that in one place we were using the um the relative permittivity instead of the expanded um, mks unit permittivity and once we fixed that final bug everything started working all the tests um, <laughs> came up clean so uh, 
um, right at the wire, but it, it was, it was, it was a challenge, but we're, we're happy that we took it on. Excellent. How will these techniques be used in the future for Intel and other companies? Well, all of these developments are useful for the complete uh, consumer electronics and server sectors, right? So uh, there is a, uh, a lot of opportunities in here. Uh, in particular, for Intel, uh, in the short term, we're planning to use this to evaluate the, charging, the, the chassis shielding effectiveness of uh, two, two different uh, thermal solutions of the system. One of them being the traditional air, uh, air air cooling, and the other one when the when the server is emerged into into liquid cooling. So um, uh, we want to evaluate what are the EMI implications of uh, having the server working in in these two environments and compare what what happens. Uh, we also plan to use um, near fields measured in the lab and use them as a source in the EMA three uh, D. Uh, set up and evaluate how well uh, this correlates with we have previously uh, been uh, uh, simulating both uh, getting our source our our near field source from simulations uh, uh, from those other uh, ANSYS uh, tools. And besides this, our ultimate goal is to be able to catch EMI risks early early in the process in the product life cycle. Uh, before even initial prototypes are available in the in the lab, but we have a lot uh, of more opportunities to to do engineering changes without uh, harming that much uh, uh, the cost of the product or or the or the time to market. Thank you very much, Tim and Cesar, for talking with me today about how the first time in the industry we're able to simulate a whole server in in one type of simulation at once, and including the interactions and interference. It's really a big accomplishment, so thanks for sharing the story with us. For our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.signalintegritygernal.com. Thanks for listening.